0: Hello everyone, I hope you're all doing very well. A really cool interview that we've got booked for today. One of the most cool, for lack of a better word, planes out there that everyone who's watching this interview probably agrees with is the AC-130 gunship. It's a Herc, which is a cool plane anyway, but not particularly exciting, made super sexy by filling it with guns. I mean, who? Yeah, that's the kind of thing I would do. Who would have thought that someone would actually make this? I've got... An operator here that used to operate in one of these. Say hello, John.
1: Hello, Cap. How are you today, I'm sir? I'm
0: beautiful, thank you. Bit of bit of a sore throat, but am gonna we're gonna we're gonna push through. We're gonna do our best. So, how did we meet? Let me think. Uh, you must have sent me a message. It was about leather crafting. Correct. And you you offered, I think, to make some uh, some leather crafting for me. Nice people being nice, which is great. And then um, you just dropped into conversation. This happens a lot. Another guy's just done it. I've been talking to him for ages, and he suddenly said, "Oh, by the way, I used to be a Hornet pilot." Is that any I'm like, yeah, awesome. Uh, so you said you used to used to work aboard the AC One Thirty A. And I said, great. "Okay, I have got to interview that. The chance of me ever finding an operator aboard this yeah. is so minimal that that's great. So we've got to go and do it." So. First of all, we need to learn a little bit about this aircraft because I know literally it's a Hercules with guns, and that's it. There was uh, on the on the bit of toing and throwing I did with you. There were some several versions. There was an A and some other versions. Can you roughly explain the differences between them? And one was called Spectra, one was called Gunship. Or
1: we can hit in this, but I'll, I'll start it. it. Started out with the AC one, AC forty-seven, which is the old C forty-seven. Oh, um, where they. It started out just as a concept with some guys trying some stuff out in Vietnam with a uh, 30 millimeter or 20 millimeter cannon uh, out the uh, left side of the aircraft flying a pylon turn, which morphed into the AC 119 with better optics and uh, a a better gun sight. And then uh, that morphed into the uh, AC 130. Which originally uh, A models, which is what they were flying uh, at the time, uh, A models with uh, only a 20mm, seven, uh, a, a 762, and then it morphed into uh, two 20mm, two 762s, and two 40mm cannons. And by that time, they had incorporated a low light level television, a uh, IR sensor, which by today's standards was almost like watching uh, bad black and white television. But at the time, it was some of the best things going. And they also had uh, various and sundry sensors to detect, uh, and I'm not making this up, the um, spark made by the coils on the trucks on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Wowza. uh, And other electronic warfare capabilities like that, because that is uh, in Vietnam is where they, uh, the two missions were truck busting on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and mm-hmm. then Troops in Contact, most of the time those were at Special Forces 18 detachments so, that were so trying to be over. To...
0: Timeline wise, is, is this all around early Vietnam?
1: Early Vietnam, oh, right. um, they started in 65 with the original experimentation mm-hmm. of the AC 47, and that morphed along two years. Uh, a lot of testing done in mm-hmm. Eglin Air Force mm-hmm. Base. Mm-hmm. and 67, was the first uh concept yeah with the with the uh, c-130 and I believe the first gunships ac130 gunships got to they were based out of uh udorn uh Thailand uh they got there in 68
0: Wowza! I mean this is already like the most sexy interview we've ever done I'm looking at a c119 with two heffing great Vulcan cannons just pointing out of windows essentially yes. it's like I don't know. It's kind of the thing of dreams. It's kind of the thing I dream about, if I could have nice dreams. Um, OK, so we've, had, we've got a bit of background there about how he we went 47, 119, 130. Any idea why they ended on the 130? Was it just Did it just simply prove the best gun platform in testing, do you think?
1: It did, but for many reasons. Uh, the endurance, the 119 was plagued even though they had the right uh 4350 really, really large piston engines, just the same engines that were on a B-29. Mm-hmm. Uh that was an underpowered aircraft. Um with the 130, uh in the with full tank of gas in the 130, our loiter time could be anywhere four to six hours, mm-hmm. depending on the trip to and from the target mm-hmm. site. So mm-hmm. you had an extended loiter time. Uh you could also carry uh the rounds that you needed to and the equipment. And also, uh, the underside of this aircraft was, uh, heavily armored. Our gross takeoff weight was an a model, which is nowhere near what the the new aircraft was, mm-hmm. but we were right at 125,000 pounds gross takeoff. Yeah, weight. wow. We were at max weight when we took off and with, with fuel and personnel and, uh, Weapons on board and then the ammunition on board as well. So the 130 was, you know, did what it does best. It hauls stuff mm-hmm. to uh, faraway places and does it well and uh, very reliable and very fixable and uh, very safe, redundant engine systems mm-hmm. and hydraulic systems and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I'm
0: just trying to think I mean, the system as a whole, the, the, the spectra, the gunship as a whole, I'm trying to think why, uh, I'm trying to think how that doctrine get got in and my, my idea my thinking the way i think about it is it's probably there because we didn't have an, an a10 thunderbolt 2 at the time right which is all right. about loiter big gun wait in a big circle for five hours until all the baddies come out shoot them with a the gun bugger off home you didn't have that back then so you needed the the next best thing right
1: exactly you needed loiter time was what it's all about loiter time and the ability to uh and they can we'll talk about this in a little bit mm-hmm. but we could with their with our good aircraft commanders we could put they with the 40s i have seen personally them hold a 6 milliradian box Watch so, that doesn't mean uh,
0: anything to me though could how do you how do you explain uh, that kind of to the layman
1: okay um the flares that we would, when we would go on our overwater missions, and uh, we would put flares out and shoot the and shoot at the flares. Wow. I've seen my good aircraft commanders. Now this would be a hollowed out. Uh, I'm going to go with a, a metric hundred millimeter by hundred millimeter. What we call a four by four post that's hollowed out and has a saltwater activated flare in it. So when it hits drops of water, it goes off. Mm-hmm. I've had an air, uh, Many of our aircraft commanders could put that flare out. from 6,000 feet with a 40 millimeter range
0: so I know uh, today we're going to be asking uh, the viewers questions because this is all about representing GR, representing the viewers and we will go on to that there's just some things that are just too interesting not to ask how on earth is the aiming done? I mean it's not done I mean, the, the aircraft itself just gets roughly in position right and then the guns are kind of fine tuned by some sort of gyro system or at least on the version you were in? Uh, the
1: version we were in, and I'll expound. The version we were in, uh, we knew the heights we were we were going. The altitudes that we were going to fly, and then the weapons mechanics, we call them the gunners, mm-hmm. would come in and they would set the angles of the gun. Mm-hmm. We flew in a uh, twenty-five to thirty-five uh, degree angle of bank in what's called a left-hand pylon turn. So you're shooting towards the center point. What we would do. Uh, we had a known point over Herbert field where we would go to line up the, line up the, the gun sights, make sure the gun sights and the uh, sensors are, are looking uh, at all at the same position. And also the electronic warfare officer had to, there was a signal that was broadcast from this specific place on Herbert field. And then he would line up all his equipment there. Uh, so what basically how this went is the pilot is uh, you're in a uh, 25 to 35 degree angle of bank. We're flying, oh, roughly 200 miles an hour, not really fast. Uh, you've got the copilot over there. It's monitoring the throttles and monitoring the angle of bank. The flying engineer is calling out the angle of bank to the pilot. Uh, and then the pilot would was looking basically not over his left shoulder, but looking left into a gun sight. That shows the angle of the aircraft relative to the angle or where the sensors are looking. And what he would do is he would fly, basically, fly those two uh, gun sights to uh, go superimposed. Mm-hmm. And you would hear him, pilots in the site, the, the the calls we pilots in the site. Then you'd hear the, uh, the uh, flight engineer, you know, 30, 31. Twenty twenty nine, you know, calling out the angle of bake and then the pilot, and then the pilot would fire whichever gun he had selected, and then um, you would hear him. If you hear him say "super," super means he was superimposed, which you know he's he's dead nuts on, and mm-hmm. that's when the magic would start happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, of course, we were affected by winds aloft, mm-hmm. uh, and we could also. We could, you know, go higher or lower to get away from the winds
2: mm-hmm.
1: if they were really bad. But the, the higher you were, the better you were because you got more time to react to a threat at that point in time. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, newer systems, uh, as they moved into the U model, uh, or the later versions of the H and then they've moved into the U model, the guns you know now now gps has come along mm-hmm. and introduced and now the guns stayed trained mm. just like an m1a1 cannon you pointed you pointed at a target and as the aircrafts flying the guns would train to point directly at the target at all times much much more more accurate mm-hmm. we were accurate but they were
0: pinpoint so analog was like with everything analog was slowly replaced by digital And then the pilot can just fly pretty much, you know, all that he wants now. And the guns will constantly be moving left, right, up, down to to get the perfect calculating all the parameters and stuff, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So uh, then he's just worried about, you know, dealing with wind. And then it's a little bit of uh, adding a little bit of rudder into it Mm -hmm. uh, to correct. But it became... With the advent of digital and GPS and everything, it came a little bit easier to shoot. Whereas before, there was uh, there was a bit of windage involved, mm-hmm. and we had aircraft commanders. Some aircraft commanders were better than others, just mm-hmm. like some people were better shooters than others. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it 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 really really got where they could, with a good good controller on the ground, they could bring in rounds. If the guys, well, they could bring it in on top of them if they wanted to, but mm-hmm. they could go danger close, thirty meters. Depending on what, depending on what they were shooting, yeah. In the in the people were dug in.
0: I mean, like an F eighteen compared to a I don't know a, a, a Phantom. Obviously, the the digitised age just makes it a better plane, more accurate and whatnot. I, I, I love the romance of the old version, of the analogue version of the pilot having to superimpose and everything having to work together uh, as a crew. I think that's a, I think that's an awesome thing, thing to have. Um, so when these guys, and this, this this was used a lot, like you said, in Vietnam, when these, what was the version called that was um, in Vietnam? What, what was his nickname? Was that a the oh, they, they call
1: it Spectre. That was the uh, Spectre, right. The uh, Spectre for the, well, it went the A's, and then actually the next follow-on version were E's, mm-hmm. but they ended up calling it H because they upgraded the engines on them. So both the AC-130A and H were called Spectre.
0: Right. Okay. So inspectors were putting lead onto the Ho Chi Minh trail. What were, I'm just really, what were they trying to do? Were they, were they actually targeting troops or were they just blasting a known trail or, you know, where, and if they were blasting troops and or armoured vehicles to some extent, where was the information coming from?
1: Well, you had, you had people, you had a uh, long range reconnaissance team on the ground um, that were providing ah, information, okay. but they, they knew where, you know, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, uh, as you well know, was not one yeah. body. It was many, many bodies. But they would go just like going to a, a good place to go fishing. You know, you know the fishing here is good. And they would pick select portions of the trail. And they fly up and down the trail uh, for four or five-hour missions. This is where the Black Crow, Black Crow came into, or the BC, or Electronic Warfare Officer. Mm-hmm. He had devices that, you know, remember we're talking about um, old uh uh, ignition systems with uh, points and condensers and uh, uh, ignition coils so they made a lot of electronic noise so even if the uh well the ir sensors could see them through the triple canopy and uh if the tv couldn't the ir could and hinge with the fact now that you got we call them the crew position for electronic warfare officer was called bc which stood for black crow uh, and BC could pick them up. He could pick up the, uh, emissions from the ignition systems on the truck. And then they'd start hunting them out and, uh, one or two 40 millimeter rounds on a truck. And it was done. Mm-hmm. And then they would go, you know, these trucks did, they traveled in convoys or traveled in groups. And usually when you get one, you get secondaries off another, and then, uh, you just keep going until, uh, you know, there was nothing else to shoot, then they go fly to another part of the trail.
0: Roger. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for the timing, if it wasn't for the Vietnam War, the kind of guerrilla esque war where you've got planes kind of shooting against AK forty sevens, do you reckon the spectra would never have become
1: Um I, I think that's I think that's probably correct. we were fighting a guerrilla warfare in a jungle, uh where you very rarely your enemy was more concerned with uh, playing what we like to say here in the colonies, playing the long game. You mm-hmm. just wanted to harass you and just continually bleed you down with people until you finally got tired of it and went away um, and just left them alone. So I don't think we would, you know, that, that ended up being subsequent to what was going in Southeast Asia at the time. Mm-hmm. You were, I, I believe you're accurate. If we wouldn't have had the uh, conflict in Southeast Asia, we wouldn't have what we had.
0: Roger. Okay. Well, I've got a good feel for the history, how it was developed, why it's developed, what it could do and why it did it. Anything else before we start turning it over to the viewers and reading out their questions?
1: Uh, For the time, you know, the A model for the time was the epitome of technology by today's technology. It's pretty antiquated, but uh, I must brag just a minute and then I'll Mm -hmm. get off it. We we uh, they flew these airplanes from Thailand and gave us gave them to us all twenty of them and gave us to them and handed them over when they stood up the unit the Air Force Reserve unit in in 1975. Mm-hmm. We flew the we flew the, this platform for 21 years, uh, and when you have the same pilots the same you know mm-hmm. the same pilots and the same crew members on there that fly with each other daily, uh, you become a, dependent. You know, it makes no difference who's who's in the aircraft. We've flown together so much, the crew coordination and the standardization made for a great team, no matter who was on board. And we actually, uh, we were able to prosecute targets to the fullest extent of that aircraft with the quality of crews that we have. I was very proud to be part of that
0: unit. Roger, and this is very much a team sport then. If you've got how many, uh, an average specter, how many guys have you got on board?
1: Fourteen. Wow. uh, Fourteen, and that's with nobody having students. That would be Mm -hmm. pilot, copilot flight engineer navigator and then when you get down in the uh, passenger compartment or the cargo compartment then you have four we call them gunners well they call them special airmen special missions airmen now four gunners uh four people in the uh in the booth uh two of those were sensor operators IRTV. then the fire control officer who actually did the majority of the talking on the radios Mm -hmm, and mm then the electronic warfare guy, and then uh, myself, the uh, luminaire operator. So it was uh, a standard crew of 14 with no students.
0: Roger, and my thinking is that this is a team sport. This is all about how the team works together to get the results.
1: Exactly. Uh, When the pilot in the booth could get together and uh, that coordinated with a really good, uh, hot fire control officer that was really on his game, who was also a navigator as well, and then a good crew of gunners uh, it could just run like a well-loyed machine and it, and i've seen it run like a well-loyed machine
0: roger awesome okay right here we've got that uh john's synopsis i'm not going to read it out but the one thing we should quickly talk about before we head on is your uh position which is really interesting illuminator operator can you talk us through what your personal responsibilities were
1: uh on the uh from the 119 up uh, they needed a, battle, a way to light the uh, light the battlefield up to see what they were looking at. Remember, night vision glasses were just in there, barely, they, you had a night vision scope and it was like three feet long and, you know, it was really, you couldn't see a whole lot with it. So you need to be able to light up the battlefield. Uh, that turned into actually a fixed uh, uh, spotlight with an IR lens on it that was actually manually operated which turned into they had the same uh, they said had the same thing, but a 20 uh, kW light that was actually fixed uh, and coordinated with the cameras. But you also had to have uh, def- you know because we were susceptible to ground fire, you had to have somebody in the back to run your defensive systems. Mm-hmm. Which we had a, a a flare a flare launching system that we could launch different kinds of flares. Par- and these are parachute flares mm-hmm. to eliminate the battlefield. Also, I had control of the uh, of the flares, uh, the uh, the flares that you would launch to deter. Our our nemesis was SA sevens and SA twos. So mm-hmm. to do that, you're actually laying down on the ramp with the door up, strapped in, and up to you with just about hanging out from your waist out, actually looking. Um, it wasn't 180 degrees. it was probably about 140 degrees field of view behind you, calling out threats to the aircraft.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and that's that was your role of your illuminator operator in the A and H models.
0: Watch. Well, I'm just looking at Stra- uh, SA7. I've never seen SA7. This is a handheld Strela. Is that right?
1: Like an old that's man correct. pad.
0: And did, did they have them in the late 60s then?
1: Oh, uh, they did. Wow. Uh, they did uh, sa7s were a big threat and and
0: of course you know about mm. sa2 you guys oh I mean, yeah 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 wowzer i have no idea about that well my next question was going to be at six thousand feet uh, what were your threats but it looks like you've got ir sams coming at you you've got radar sams coming at you any uh, what about um, kind of uh, high caliber guns kind of 23 more guns and stuff like that are you, are you out of range up, up there
1: oh no um the they had the the twenty three millimeter whether it was uh, fixed or whether it was uh, on uh, a track mounted I I, re- I could remember a million times in in the tactics portion of uh, a publication called fifty five one thirty which was the tactics portion that all the crew members had to be responsible hmm. for and in big bold letters never ever duel with a gun
0: ah how interesting
1: never duel with the gun so. Uh, because if you do if you do with a gun, you're going to lose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, uh, 23 millimeter were a big problem because 37 millimeter was a problem. And then the fixed stuff, the hundred millimeter, uh, you know, that was more like artillery barrage. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot you could do about mm-hmm. that. If you flew, if you flew in hundred millimeter, you were toast, mm-hmm. but, um, the, the biggest threat was 37 and 23. hmm
0: well, we don't have thirty-seven in game, but we do have twenty-three. And I've always tried to teach my game uh, to try to try and teach my guys um, any aspect. So above or laterally, you never get within six thousand feet. So that's one nautical mile or thereabouts. Because just like you
1: said, they
0: fire better than you fire. <laughs> yes, and they you do. You get shot and down.
1: They are devastating. Now, uh, I'm sure we'll get into this in a minute. Now, when the with the advent of the hundred and five millimeter gun they could bump up to 10,000 feet and basically Mm. shoot like a sniper rifle, so then your twenty threes were weren't a... uh, Then you hoped they'd fire, because then they would give away their position. Mm.
0: uh,
1: One or two rounds of 105 and the game over.
0: Mm -hmm. It's artillery coming down at that point, isn't it? Exactly. Okay. Right, awesome. We've got a good idea of the, the different roles now. Right, anyway, let's uh, plot on with the actual questions that I'm representing. So number one, these are questions from you. They've not been checked or analyzed. I let you ask whatever sure. you want. Uh, what is the most hardcore slash intense weapon to fire from the side of an airplane? So talking about the Spectre, obviously. Uh, what? what uh, how, how do you interpret that question then?
1: In, in my, in my uh, experience, it's the 105 because when the 105 goes off, you can feel the airframe shake
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you can feel the, the tail the of the aircraft. Now, I, whether it does it or not, it feels like it does. Mm. It feels like the, uh, the tail uh, goes right two or three degrees. Mm. When 105 goes off, you certainly know it. Now, it's dampened and has the recuperators and all that kind of stuff on it, but it's still awesome and it is loud like you can't believe
0: right yeah um, and the the the, the natural follow up question is you've got a lot of energy expended here are, are, when you fire that howitzer aren't you pushing the plane out of line via recoil
1: uh, actually uh, remember where it's developed from which is a towed 105 millimeter howitzer so there's things there's shock absorbing systems called recuperators mm-hmm. so when it recoils uh, when you get the, re- the recoil where the uh, breech is coming back from when the shell fires and also to eject the shell, just like a tank mm. would operate, you've got dampening systems on there that slow that down, but there's still a massive amount of force that's being applied there, but not enough to, uh, to I've seen uh, not personally where they, I've seen them put five or six, you can put a round down with 105 every 10 seconds. Job. And i put them, seen them put six six rounds a minute. So any correcting that they have to do up in the front is is uh, minimal at best.
0: Roger. Okay. I guess if you did the uh, the maths, you'd find that there's so much energy in the plane as a whole. What's it, 60 tons or whatever that works out? Oh, way
1: gonna... more. than uh, With the H models and then uh, the H models, they're, they're up into gross takeoff weights in like 180, 190,000 pounds. We were 130. We were 124. Yeah. They're way, way, way more than we
0: were. Roger. Awesome. Okay. Right, let's plug along. Um, what do you think of the Ghost Rider variant losing 40mm Bofors in favour of wing-mounted, small-diameter bombs, Griffin missiles, or Hellfire pods? I don't understand anything about that question. Is that relevant? or
1: It is, and uh, I just read on some stuff today. You're going to have to tell me what a Ghost it, Rider is. I don't know what that is. The Ghost Rider is the uh, Whiskey, AC-130W. Mm-hmm um what they did is they they you know technology things are faster smaller you know more precise Mm -hmm. um they took the 40 millimeters off because the 40 millimeter was a weapon that was developed in the early 30s from Mm. the ship Mm.
0: that was uh Uh, swedish wasn't it bofors
1: it was bofors Mm -hmm. swedish uh very good weapon Mm -hmm. very 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 heavy Mm. and of course the I don't know how many canisters of 40 millimeter rounds I've loaded on an aircraft, but it takes there. It's a two man lift. Mm-hmm. And, and of course it, it's all about weight and where the uh, 25s and the 30s uh, with the ability to, those are chain fed, like uh, very, you know, very much like the A-10 is they're chain fed and uh, they, the, the gun is just far more accurate far better performance and it's the difference between—I uh, don't know. I guess the best way I could put it is the difference between a shotgun and a sniper—a a shotgun and a sniper mm-hmm. rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you might need to put three or four forty-millimeter rounds down, but that those twenty-five or thirties—well, uh, the twenty-five is a Gatling-style gun, but thirties of the Bushmaster, like on the Bradley, mm-hmm. it's a sniper rifle that, that you can put that through somebody's window. Mm-hmm. And they—I don't know that they specifically had put it through the window but the accuracy with the 30 millimeters just it's just unthinkable how accurate that they are
0: right okay then let's move on to the next one do you have any comments regarding the change from a 25 mil gal 12 equalizer was that the rotary cannon um or was it not
1: Yes, it is the rotary cannon Yes. yeah
0: two a thirty mil gal twenty three A. Okay, I'm gonna have to go and look up what these weapons are because I just don't know. Uh, let's go and have a look at a
1: gal. Big, bigger gun, more energy. Um, bigger gun, more energy. More job. Uh Accuracy. I think accuracy is you know the between the two, they're both very accurate weapon systems. Uh, accuracy between the two, I think, is uh, you know negligible. Both are very very accurate weapons, especially with the weapons platform that they're flying on now that's you know digitally controlled and guided rather than analog
0: right yeah okay so so by the sounds of things the gale 12 the old 25 mil gatling gun was probably kind of spray and pray you know saturation sure and and whereas it looks like the Bushmaster, which is the chain gun which may or may not be interestingly the one on the bottom of the patchy that would be interesting is, Um, is, is i believe it is is less saturation and more like a kind of very powerful sniper rifle like it, is
1: indeed. it is indeed that's why they can with a good JTAC on the ground mm-hmm. they can go put rounds down danger close and I mean danger really 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 close and, and the troops on the ground survive
0: more job. yeah no absolutely that, that does make complete sense actually it's, it's a more modern gun for a more modern I'm just watching the action now wow mm, pre- pretty awesome Yowza. okay. So that um, for me, it's kind of it loses the romance a bit. If that's the right word, of that heffing great twenty-five mil gal twelve just mm-hmm. out the side of the thing, but uh, it's more effective. Okay, very interesting. Uh, so it's just both of those questions, the last two questions, are it's simply the natural evolution of the vehicle
1: with the technology available. Exactly. Uh, remember the original the gallon gun that was in the AC Forty Seven was to remember you you were. Combating large groups of North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong troops that were trying to overrun a fire base. So you needed to get a lot of uh, lead down in a mm-hmm. quick amount of time. Mm-hmm. And it was an area weapon uh, rather than a, uh, uh, you know, more of a surgical weapon. Roger. Okay,
0: let's push on. Number four. What is the procedure? How interesting. What is the procedure for bailing out of the aircraft in case of being doomed, either full crew or skeleton crew?
1: Well, uh, that was part of the bowl face. Everybody was responsible for bull pacing that was an item that you had to know verbatim and not miss one word on your check ride. Uh, it'll be three rings, followed by uh, three rings of a very, very loud bell on the aircraft, uh, followed by a uh, very long, well, continuous bail at the bailout bell. Uh, by that time, you've got your parachute donned and everybody's going out the, uh, the ramp and door. Hmm. I oh, would so you just put the you put the ramp out. Yeah, the ramp. Uh, the see in the A and the the A and the H is the doors up and the ramp the ramps up but the doors open. Hmm. So what I would one of my things was to get the ramp down as quickly as I could and then we all everybody go out the back.
0: This is one of the lovely things about the hook. It's it's almost like a big living room. There's so much space sure. in there. Whereas you read about. B-17s and even smaller aircraft people trying to squeeze out of tiny little hatches between Gas cylinders trying to get out. It's like it's horrendous, but in this it's just like lower the ramp off we go chaps um, <laughs> the, uh,
1: With the with the cockpit crew It could have been a bit tenuous because they actually got to the pilots have got to get out of their seats uh, aircraft commander goes to his left the co-pilot goes to his right and then you've got the flight engineer in the middle and then the navigator in the back. They have to go down uh, a, a small stairway or ladder, if you will, and then get down. So they would they would typically be the last people out.
0: Roger. OK, very good. Number five. Do you have a specific experience that stays with you where a situation went fully Tango uniform or it could have been or it could have been very nasty?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, I have one that sticks in my mind and I probably think of it. Uh, or three times a week anytime i look up in the air mm-hmm. uh we it was a very very cold night we were flying over one of the land ranges uh on the on the uh eglin reservation and we had a runaway uh bleed air leak on the leading edge on the uh, uh port side wing and the, as you know you know what the leading edge is for it's mm-hmm. for de-icing and whatnot mm-hmm. and that bleed air going in there 700 degrees uh centigrade very very hot and uh, it was runaway and we couldn't control it. We had just gotten up, we were just about, about to start shooting, had a you know full bag of gas up there and there, we were talking, you know, the, the aircrafts, and you know, we were handed over to a controller and we were cleared to fire. Uh, the, the situation develops, the aircraft commander, um, uh, Jerry Brown, I'm uh, Colonel Brown, and uh, I remember him well, Very, very, very calm. Uh, I used to say, this is Colonel Brown laughing hysterically.
2: Hmm.
0: (laughs) That's like RC. Ah.
1: I like RC, ice cold. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Colonel Brown um, gets on and uh, he's talking to the controller and he's declaring an emergency. And it just happened. It has nothing to do with it, you know, with the incapabilities. It happened to be the controller, happened to be female and she was very young and very new. And Colonel Brown's declaring an emergency and we get, um, uh, Specter 5-2, uh, stand by. <laughs> yeah, should stand by. Anyway, uh, tried to establish comms with the let range control know we were leaving. Uh, he ended up leaving anyway and heading on back to Duke Field and get it back on the ground. Of course, we were talking. We finally got uh, through to the young controller, uh, and she finally figured out what's going on. And then when we got got we got back we landed safely we did the stop in the middle of runway all the what we call lockheed staff cars those are fire trucks and we get out and you know everything's okay the wing doesn't burn off and we don't all die and i watched uh my aircraft commander get on the phone and i remember just like hearing him right now he calls the uh the chief it was it was an e9 chief master sergeant chief this is uh colonel jerry uh colonel jerry brown and after we're done with this conversation, chief, I can't assure you that you're going to remain a chief. <laughs> and then, then the butt chewing started and it went on for about 30 minutes before he drew a breath. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. butt chewing I'd ever heard in my life. It gotcha. was great, but uh, runaway runaway leader. Uh, I wasn't so sure we were going to, uh, there was nothing in the world we could do about it except uh, wait for the, I had I had a parachute. I had it on, I was by the door, I was at my crew station and I was waiting for the bailout signal and ready to go.
0: Roger. Okay. Awesome. Awesome story. Right. Uh, let's continue if I can find us. So that was uh, six. From the near dozen roles of crew for the aircraft, if it was up to a purely ground support mission in an environment of total Allied air superior, supremacy which would be the bare bones skeleton crew required to run the system's aircraft? Oh, it's a tough one.
1: Okay. Uh, being familiar with air force doctrine, there's going to be a minimum number of people assigned to their aircraft to staff it or it doesn't fly. But to answer this question, to answer the person's question, if it was an emergency, you could get that aircraft off the ground with a pilot, uh, a flight engineer a flight engineer you would have to have at least two gunners and then you would have to have your sensor operators so and somebody has got to talk to the people on the ground because the task saturation of everything going on the ground especially if you're talking to multiple people the pilot can't do all that and fly mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. time so if it was an absolute emergency you know Uh, hypothetical situation emergency situation on the new aircraft one two three four five probably seven seven or eight folks Mm -hmm. to get up there and get it going but um, that way you know there again you got a minimum staffing on on aircraft and uh, the air force would never never allow that to happen but you could do it with seven
0: Mind you, I mean it's kind of my argument where we'll never get it in DCS because a minimum you need seven trained operatives to just for this aircraft to operate, right? Correct. Uh, Correct. And yeah, it's just not—it's just not feasible, unfortunately. And you can't—you—you do not want to automate those. You don't want to automate all six of those, and then have one of them just you as a human flying. It would just be—it would be crap. So,
1: right.
0: um Yeah. So although we'd all love it, there's no doubt about that.
1: Oh, it would be great. It's just uh, not feasible. It's not feasible because uh, all the communication that's got to go on the ground. Yeah. If you can't communicate with the ground, you can't shoot because you're going to kill people if, you, mm-hmm. if you're not coordinating with the, with the guys on the ground. Mm-hmm. You will kill people. Watch gotcha. Excuse me. The wrong people.
0: Wrong people. Roger. Okay. Uh, Right. Okay. In many footage of this aircraft in action, there are many misses with varied range of accuracy, despite many of the weapon systems being considered area weapons. Is there any factor you think increase the chances of missing with these weapon systems? Or do you think the guys in charge are as accurate as it gets? If so... And if so, why? Okay, that's interesting. Do you understand that? Okay,
1: I think that I think that's an excellent question, um, and I'll break it down in parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether whether winds aloft are gonna, I've been mm-hmm. I have been flying where we had winds aloft where, it, you know, the winds at at our assigned altitude were just horrible,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you're getting bounced around. Uh, just to, we weren't shooting, but we were coming back from Arizona. We had, uh, guns pulled in and, uh, we were flying pressurized back, uh, ferrying back. Uh, we went through a really bad thunderstorm and I watched gun barrels come six feet off off the ground mm-hmm. and they, they broke straps and come six feet off, off the ground. Mm-hmm. It was uh, pretty, could have been really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, weather, winds really can really mess things up and, you know, you can predict winds aloft, but when you get there, they can be totally different. Um, with the advent of uh, the, you know, just technology with that Bushmaster gun, they have gone more to uh, most of the footage that I'm seeing now, when you uh, through live leak and the various things you're seeing them use the 105 quite a bit more, almost primarily the the 105. And now they have the Bushmaster. They'll use the the Bushmaster uh, rather than having an area weapon because, you know, we're much, much more cognizant about collateral damage and, yeah, we need to hit this building but we can't hit that building because it's a religious uh site you, you know all the uh, mm-hmm. basic rules of engagement I, I hope that does that answer what
0: absolutely i was just thinking when you were talking about the wind so you say you're a sniper as in literally a man with a rifle on the ground and if there's wind then you have to compensate for that wind but now Correct. imagine that the wind is also blowing the sniper around, which is what happening. your airplanes getting blown around by the wind. So even your platform per se is not stable in the wind. I mean, that's or yeah. not
1: as stable and in, in that realms dealing with wind all the way down
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you've probably got different layers of wind as well. so there's a lot of correct a lot of skill involved in that. would you say a lot of it a lot of that skill in getting that thing on target is is it pure geekery maths or is it, instinct or is it both
1: i think it's both uh with the ad there again uh the wonderful digital age that we're in and the trainable guns make it a lot mm-hmm. easier than it used to but there's gonna be some instinct that you know uh there's no uh there's no uh substitute for time in the seat and trigger time and being able to you know it's one thing to have your machines your computers and stuff give you your input it's another thing to be able to you know, put well, I say pull a trigger to actually mm-hmm. push a button, push a button uh, on the yoke, and then actually make all those systems work together. So mm-hmm. uh, I we had very very, we would give them the name. If we had an aircraft commander that was really really good, we call him that dude's a gunfighter man. Mm-hmm. He is he he is a gunfighter. And then you know you had some guys that were all of our guys were good, but you had some that were really nice. really really good, and some that were uh, oh. net standard
0: roger excuse me uh, before we go on to number eight i've just got my own question to slot in there and that is this aircraft in one guise or another has been flying since what you know mid 60s late 60s to sure. now that's uh i make that uh <laughs> can't I do, what can i do 60 nearly 60 years 50 50, 50 no, what,
1: 53, no 53
0: years, 53 years uh, in one form or the other god that's so and that's a long, may that's even getting on for kind of B-52, not quite, but nearly B-52. Why, in your mind, is it has it lasted so long, especially when it's gone and almost out seeing the, the A-10
1: Thunderbolt? Well, um, if you look at the production numbers of, just the production numbers of C-130s, um, they're up into, I don't know if you could do a real quick check on that, I think, Airframes yep. generated yep. by Lockheed now are over 4,000 airframes uh, just that have been generated the... by Lockheed?
0: Yeah. Well, I've got, as of 2015, over 2,500, which for, it is okay, a lot so for a big aircraft. I can't think of anything else, actually. that's yeah.
1: Five years. So say five years, there's been well over 3,000 of those airframes mm-hmm. developed. It's a, a proven system uh, with... You know, they fly. You can watch the Lockheed demos from last year. They're looping this airplane like it's an aerobatic airplane. Mm-hmm. We could have never done any of that. Well, you couldn't have done it with a gunship because it's too heavy. Hmm. But these were J models with the, oh, by the way, cap Rolls Royce engine. Yeah, right.
0: absolutely. Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, that eight, and that eight blade prop on there. I, I do like and that. They're looping. they're looping that airplane mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like it's an aerobatic. Uh, constant upgrade of the airframe, uh, the ability of the airframe to total a lot of weight, loiter time, and there's just not anything that came along that could do the same thing uh, that could that the AC-130 or the C-130 plat- base platform that mm-hmm. could do and do it, um, do it consistently, ease of maintenance and uh, sustainability, and being able to stay up and go get in the fight.
0: Gotcha. excellent. Okay. Uh, which pushes us onto eight. Do you see the airframe being retired on the near future or replaced with different aircraft that fulfills the same role? Brackets. Similar to the AC-47 Puff the Magic Dragon being replaced by the AC-119 Spectra.
1: Well, they tried that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some ideas with the... Uh, I can't think of the name of the company. It's the... C27. It was made out of down in South America, and it looked like a baby 130. Okay. And they had purchased a bunch of those, uh, and were going to supply them to the Afghan army. And there was just a whole bunch of moving parts, and it didn't happen anyway. The uh, United States Force Service and the Coast Guard have those, so they had thought about it in going with a you know a smaller platform, maybe with uh, just with the pushmaster, and then of course you would have to have the um, optics, hmm. you know, to be able to aim it, hmm. um, but it never came to fruition. Uh, it, you know, they they tried many 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 times, and since 1967, um, that, that oh by the way, the 119s flew on. We actually turned all of those over to the the South Vietnamese Air Force, oh, and my- they continued to fly those until up until 75 when uh, Saigon fell.
0: Wow, uh,
1: I don't know where they are today. I don't know if the uh, you know the North Vietnamese. Them continue to fool them, gave them the Russians what I don't know, but those continued to fly. Um, they dug a bunch of uh, uh, C 47s out of the boneyard and equipped those because uh, we those were at a very extreme end mm-hmm. of Duke Field and those had 50 cows on them rather than 20 mils, and those were being sent to Central America and they were training crews up there too. But of course, we were you know, not to discuss that and we didn't see what was going on. And then air- that aircraft never uh, existed. So anyway, this is during the uh, 80s in the Reagan administration administration with Iran Contra and all that foolishness. that has been over for many, many years. But yeah, they've tried many times to go and replace it. And they've found nothing better.
0: Awesome. Yep. Yeah, excellent. Question nine. Historically, what was the minimum operating altitude while on fire missions?
1: Okay. Yeah, very easy. Uh, AC-47 flew around 3,000 feet because mm-hmm. that was the limits of the 7.62. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they got to 20 mil, we could bump up to uh, ideal altitude was around 6,500. Mm-hmm. And then with the advent of the, uh, the 105, then, then they could get up to 10,000 feet. And I think they can operate at 10,000 feet with the Bushmasher as well. So wow. now they're operating uh, 10,000 AGL.
0: Okay, and that's a lot safer on the higher generally. A lot safer, a lot safer.
1: Mm-hmm. a lot safer. And and the thing about it is that when that aircraft's at ten thousand feet, I've been on the ground. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can hear a little bit of droning mm-hmm. in the area,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but if they if they can also do things which call it's called the synchro phase, which that has all the props are in phase and you know turning at mm-hmm. the same RPM and wow. you. Virtually, almost cannot hear that airplane mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. ten thousand feet, and at nighttime you can't see it.
0: That's mm-hmm. always been a pretty, uh, generally speaking, it's been a pretty quiet aircraft. We um, have a place called Marshalls in Cambridge, the nearest kind of big city here, and that specialises in um, the C-130s from all over the world come to get come to get uh, maintenance, repairs, all the things that have to be done to a to a working airframe. We have them in and out all the time, and I don't think I've ever heard
1: one. <laughs> I don't think they've ever heard it. Not like a jet very quiet mm-hmm. and one of the mm-hmm. things that's really um, demoralizing to the people on the ground you see the guns fire and then it may be four five six seconds mm-hmm. before the rounds impact mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now you're looking up at a dark sky and all of a sudden now your uh, your firing position I mean, out, where your is lit up and you exist no more mm-hmm. and it can be a very demoralizing uh, a weapon and where they don't have to put a lot of rounds because uh, the guys on the ground, uh don't want to fight it and though know they can't. Yep. No, uh psychological warfare in a way. Exactly. And uh a man pads you guys know man pads mm-hmm. data, uh ten thousand you're very, very much less susceptible to man pads.
0: Yeah, also you've got rel- relatively cool engines. So getting mm-hmm. a lock on a relatively cool engine at ten thousand feet is doable, but it's a lot harder than a a, a loud jet, for instance. Exactly. Mm, interesting. Very good. Okay, let's punch on. Um is there any piece of knowledge that has been handed down by the former gunship platforms and platform operators that you consider to be relevant throughout the years more brackets more specifically things that have stayed true since the uh ac-47 spooky if that's what it was called and the yes, and the ac-119 spectre times
1: um it's going to be so simple it, it's you're going to go uh, you're just you're being flippant don't fly in the daytime. Yeah. Don't fly in the daytime. You can't see it. You can't hit it. Were these militarily,
0: were these always operated at night then?
1: Uh, well, the, for the most part, uh, the only, we lost one in Desert Storm, Gulf War one. They were flying over Kuwait because mm-hmm. uh, the aircraft commander chose to hang around after sun uh, after uh, the sun rose. Guess yeah. what happened? Mm-hmm. He got shot down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What hit what him? Right, um, so. It was um, it was actually uh, if I remember correctly it was actually anti aircraft artillery got him.
0: Wow, that that is so prolific. I watched recently a uh, clip of an AH sixty four in Desert Storm. Um, you know, on the kind of first charge where they all charged in to to towards towards Baghdad or wherever, and the amount of ground artillery going up from seven six two up to whatever. I've never seen anything like it. And they weren't even aiming Amazing. a lot of them; they were just firing
1: up, and a exactly. lot, of, a lot of stuff got hit. <laughs> a lot of stuff got uh, yeah. hit. yeah! Oh, oh, absolutely! A lot of stuff got hit. I remember watching uh, January seventeenth, nineteen ninety one. We're you know uh, watching CNN back uh, when you know they were the only international game going, and watching it, and it was just like watching a paintbrush.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: But, yeah. The
1: the the one tenet that holds true is.
0: Don't fly in the daytime. Okay, right. Well, it makes sense. Um, Yeah, I mean, some planes have got speed, so they can fly at the daytime. Some have got stealth. Uh, This didn't have either of those, so just fly at night. Paint it black and fly at night. Exactly. That makes sense. Uh, Right, Um, where are we now? The Bofors 40mm on Navy ships used to be loaded by four round clips. Didn't know that. Is this still the case for the onboard Bofors, and how do you get around this clip limitation?
1: Well, (laughs) good question Um, on, let's see, I would believe it would be the U models have still got the 40 mil. Um, When you're looking in the, from the ramp on the starboard side of the airplane, there's a rack there that stands about seven feet high.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that rack is uh, set up to take those four round clips. I actually have a nasty scar on my left index finger from not from we hit an air pocket there in it. I actually cut my finger on one of the tabs that held the rack on there. So, um, oh, now yeah. they would hold 480 rounds of 40. Yeah, in I'm, that rack.
0: I'm looking at them now. Yeah.
1: That's a uh, big rack. The, 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 but to appreciate this, the ammunition came in a, uh, sealable, um, square, uh, bucket with this uh, waterproof lid on it and there would be four clips of four mm-hmm. that would be in there and that was a two-man lift and you actually had to load those on the aircraft take the take the clips out load the clips onto the rack and then uh get rid of the you know give the uh the, the ammo guys give them the things back so mm-hmm. it was uh quite the uh, ordeal of loading that up a lot of uh you know, a lot of uh, handwork work. The, there. Uh, it can make up to an hour.
0: There's a lot of hand work. Out. I mean, uh, uh Gal 8 on a um, uh, on an A10, you kind of hook it up, and then you turn this machine on, and it just okay. whizzes, them, whizzes them in, you know, probably half a ton of ammo or something. Exactly. But this, you've got to have uh, them, you know, yeah guys doing it.
1: Now, this is just for free. I would look at the uh, date stamps on the bottom of the casings of the 40 mil. Mm-hmm. I never saw anything newer than 1945. Ha! <laughs> Wowza! 1942, 43, 44, 45. And understand all the 40 mil rounds that had been shot. And they were still on Navy ships. And they were still being, you know, with all the rounds that they expended on the gunships. And this is 1988 was the last time I flew mm-hmm. in I never saw a date stamp on the bottom of uh, the casing that was any newer than 1940.
0: Oh, so 40, Where did we
1: store all this
0: 45 stuff? 45 plus years old. 45 plus years old. Don't you think, I thought gunpowder went off.
1: Well, went uh, off remember, a century. They're, they're staying in a, uh, a sealed waterproof container and uh, then they're being stored in a uh, air conditioned uh you know uh, dehumidified mm. uh bunker as well so the stuff's been it's been kept well
0: mm. Mm. so it's not yeah so it's not like you just took it off a ship and then chucked it exactly. in a plane it's been so exactly oh, this okay. stuff's
1: been stored you know it, it, to preserve it for as long as it possible
0: F- follow up question did you have ever have any misfires of 4050 or oh, God, ammunition, oh, ammunition oh yeah
1: when you had a misfire or you'd have a you know it was just like firing a pistol you'd have a failure to extract or you'd have a double feed a double feed on a 40 mil was a real problem because with the absolute violence of action mm-hmm. of that breach moving and if it didn't extract and then it you know it did failure extract and then it tried to uh go went back into battery with another another weapon now we had what's called a hot gun
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we had specific routes that we had to fly back and then of course we'd have to call you know there some emergency procedures, and we would land in the middle of the runway and stop and do our evacuation procedures as if the airplane was on fire. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the Lockheed staff cars would be there, and it was a big hullabaloo. But you didn't want to go fly back over, you know, Fort Walton Beach or uh, Crestview or uh, you know Destin or any of those areas in a 40 mil round go off and you know kill 20. Watch out. Now the twenty mil that we had, the twenty mil they could the guys were pretty good. They could get that cleared, but you uh forty mil, man, that that was just that had to come back. And a lot of times they had to come back, actually disassemble that weapon, uh, sometimes take it out of the aircraft, disassemble it, and then uh clear the malfunction. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, very good. And it could be for a, a myriad of things. Most of the time it was because the round, it was a uh, weak round. Mm-hmm. And it was rarely... Because our weapons guys kept these kept these weapons just in pristine shape. And it, it was usually an ammunition issue, never a main
0: What issue. does a weak round mean? Something... Uh, not fond- enough powder.
1: Not when it, powder. You know, with the yeah. millions and millions of those rounds, it, it just didn't get enough powder to do what it needed to do.
0: More job. Wow. I was unaware of that. But, okay, this, uh, let's carry on. Uh, so... Do you think the CAS... Uh, close air support potential of the aircraft is well assigned as it is in covering special operations or do you think it should have a wider flexibility for cash requirements from different guys on the ground less high on the food chain now i don't understand that so, could you explain what I, you I,
1: I completely understand what they're trying to say and when i was deployed to afghanistan in 0405 uh one of the briefing was the only people that talk to 130s are gonna be JTACs and they're usually gonna be in, embedded JTACs with specialized mm-hmm. units. They only associate with special ops types.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, why they're not uh, associated more with maneuvering forces, I don't know. It, and, and it would be a, uh, a, a doctrine uh, out of JSOC and and the way the joint special operations command i'm sorry it's jsoc doctrine but they still primarily gunships only work with uh, special ops guys for for the most part they only work for work with them
0: much job. just i was just reading ahead to the next question it says are there any ejection seats like in the b-52 there are not any in the c-130 mm-hmm. are there
1: it's no, weird. sir. It's, it's all uh, get. It's all get up and walk out the back and yell Geronimo on the way out. Roger. Which brings me,
0: which brings me to the point that I didn't realize that the fifty-two had ejection seats. How interesting. I'd have uh, to... The pilots,
1: the pilots go up. Yeah. Uh, the the other crew, depending on where they are, either go up or go down. Oh, God,
0: can you imagine going up's bad enough? Can you imagine going down?
1: Oh. Yeah the uh the, the electronic warfare officer uh, officer and there's two two stations down below and in, in in the uh back in the the uh navigational and uh electronic warfare sleep so two go up two go down
0: wow oh, okay maybe one day i'll get a 50 52 operator on okay let's push on did you ever get a chance in combat or in training to quote make it rain and open up with everything for area saturation
1: oh god yeah <laughs> once a year we would have a family night where the families could go out <laughs> to one of the rain you know go to the yeah. ranges and of course we'd have a big barbecue yeah. and there'd be buses and then everybody would meet down mm-hmm. there and they'd have a couple uh, they would demonstrate the capabilities to the families and the pinpoint capabilities and then the ultimate finale was going to be the, the the second ship would open up with all three weapon systems mm-hmm. and it is it will make you goosebumps come mm-hmm. to your skin, and thank the good Lord above that you're not mm-hmm. on the receiving end of it. Roger. Yeah. That- and and oh, Cap, the really cool thing is, you can hear the you know you, you, we always hear the brrr of yeah. the thirty. Well, it was the same thing with the twenty. You could hear the brrr of the of the twenty, and then you hear the gun stop firing, mm-hmm. and then five or six seconds later, mm-hmm. you still got action on the ground. Yeah. It,
0: Cool. That would. Cool. That would be cool. I'd love to see that. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and just just in terms of use of to make it rain type situation, is that for kind of like grid square elimination, or is it word differently? With an MLRS operator at some point, and he would fire to take an entire grid square out. Maybe it's a bit different.
1: It, it would do. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean at you would never do that in a combat situation where you got troops on the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they would now I've seen five, six second burst, which is a lot of rounds out of a 20. Uh, but you've also, remember you also got uh, limitations on how long you can fire that 20 because mm-hmm. of the o- overheating. Mm-hmm. And then the 40, of course you can fire the 40 as fast as the, uh, the, the gunners can keep feeding rounds in there. And you know, I've seen, I've seen, five, six, uh, seven, a uh, dozen 40 rounds go, you know, off at one time you know, shooting s- subsequent rounds. It'll just keep firing until you run out of ammunition. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're limited to, uh, you're limited to, to your barrel restrictions there. And you don't want to heat up a barrel to the point where you get around when it goes into battery, it'll shoot, it'll overheat and fire. That's uh, never a good thing. Okay. Right. Okay. Oh, oh uh, Lastly, you're, I've seen, we the, the aircraft commander and the gunners would get in a competition to see who could keep up with who <laughs> and of course the pilot would de- would stay within its restrictions because you don't want to melt the gun barrels but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, uh you can put somebody ankle deep in 20 mil rounds <laughs> pretty quick and of course they're scooping them with the snow shovel into uh cans yeah and, and yeah, they have a, a trough that Folds up from the floor and attaches, so they're going down in this trough. So they're actually shoveling rounds and trying to keep up with the pilot. And, and a good, a good set of gunners could do it. A good set mm-hmm.
0: of gunners could. I, w- I was looking at some pictures and noticed that the the brass, you know, used canisters are still in the plane. Why aren't they just shoved out of a chute
1: outwards? Uh, outwards. You would have to run it through the airframe and down and out in a way, and you're—they don't want to put rounds out where you're possibly going to hit a prop, beat the beat the side of the airframe out. Right. Uh, you know, as it goes on, because stuff will bounce down the side of an airframe. Mhm. It would just bringing it home. Just was just easier way to do it.
0: Okay. I suppose it's not heavy. It's not particularly heavy once it's suspended. It's, Go mm, very good. Uh, okay, let's push on. By 25mm bushmaster cannon, you must mean the GAL 12 equalizer. So I think it's just a typo you made at the top in the synopsis. So, okay. How accurate have you seen it be on action to merit the sniper rifle complement in measure of X amount of rounds in a house? I'm not quite Um, sure what that means. Size target, for reference, please. How do you make of that question?
1: I have to be perfectly honest on this. We did not have the 25. I can speak to the 20. Right. Okay. Uh, d- depending on the aircraft commander, depending on the winds aloft, uh, I could see 20 mil because you're watching this shoot. And, and, and when I say watching it, you can be in the booth and watch it too. Cause mm-hmm. those guys have got the, uh, with the TV and the IR guy. Mm-hmm. I've watched those, the 20 mil and those keeps inside, uh, Thirty in, in a circle, maybe thirty meters, maybe less. Roger,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And there again, that's going to depend on the wind and depend on depending on the wind, depending on the pilot.
0: Roger. So that would be like a big burst, like a six-second burst. Yes,
1: uh, they would run three to five seconds on a burst because you're putting three thousand rounds a, a, a minute out, mm-hmm. so that's a lot of rounds.
0: Roger, uh, is that the same? Do you know have the same thing as the Vulcan cannon, or is it a different cannon? Yeah, that's the twenty. That's uh, the that's, Vulcan. That's, that's yeah. Vulcan, right? Yeah. I mean the Vulcan. On an airplane, as in, uh, I mean, on a fighter jet, was never renowned as an accurate weapon. Um, I know that. It was It was always always a bit of a scatter weapon. So, yes. yeah,
1: interesting. But with, there again, pylon turns, uh, the advent of having some really good electronics, uh, you could make a, you know, at 6,000 feet, you can make a not so great weapon into a, you know, great mm.
0: weapon. Also, the other thing is my understanding of why wasn't very accurate i think it you had a lot of vibration and movement in a fighter because you didn't have particularly good mounts whereas right. a thumping great a team on 30 you could dampen those mounts you could make stronger mounts whatever uh, exactly I'm, I'm very shocked. very
1: stable very stable platform I'm sure
0: you can accurate that okay very good uh how much how many rounds does the 105 howitzer
1: carry uh, in the uh the A's didn't have the 105s the mm-hmm. hs did mm-hmm. 96 in the H's and then when they went to the U's uh, they doubled that so it was over 200 now uh, with the W they put the 105 in the W I would assume that they the, in the W uh, it says twice I've looked it up and it says twice the capacity before so it's over 200
0: More jump. okay and, and was, that, that was that one every 10 seconds or was that one every six seconds I forgot
1: uh, every 10 with a good crew every mm. 10 yeah More jump. okay because they actually have to, uh, it's just like a 105 howitzer on the ground. They have to actually open the breech, get the round out yeah. and discard the round and then put a new round in. So every, uh, a good trained crew every 10 seconds and just to give somebody the idea, that round typically weighs 42 pounds.
0: Yikes, I could barely lift that. <laughs> so that is, yeah, so, so that gun is just too big to automate the loading. You need a guy. Correct. Okay, Correct. fine regards to the A version, I suppose, that you were in, how long can it stay airborne?
1: Uh, we could stay airborne the, depending on uh, the, the trip to and trip back. We could stay up six hours. Right okay. uh, Remember, you don't, have to, you don't have to burn fast holes in the sky when you, yeah. and you don't want to burn fast holes mm-hmm. in the sky mm-hmm. when you get where you're going. Uh, the, the newer versions, of course, they got more fuel capacity and everything. Those guys can loiter almost twice that.
0: Roger wowzer. yeah that is pretty amazing I'll give it that there's not much else in the world in terms of attacking aircraft that can do something like that if anything and especially
1: especially now with uh, with the W models and all the stuff that the uh, the fl- it, it, it's a flying weapons artillery platform not just guns but with the, uh, the AGMs that they carry on them now yeah
0: right absolutely okay uh, right so we've talked about your kind of worst if you like memories what is the best mission or best memory you've flown most memorable or best outcomes uh
1: best outcome was uh we were down in puerto rico shooting on Vieques island and uh we had a good crew uh everybody i, I flew with that outstanding crew outstanding aircraft commander and it was part of a combined armed exercise we were on on target on time and uh on a light show that was absolutely gorgeous And right as we were done in a ready-to-leave station the Sun was coming up and it was the most beautiful azure blue lagoon where we were shooting it was something that you could have you couldn't have painted a prettier picture and uh, as soon as the sun was coming of course we get out because we don't you know try Mm -hmm. not to fly in the daytime Mm -hmm. but uh, that was that was one of the most memorable occasions
0: modger oh, that sounds very sounds very nice never had this one before but your favorite crew member nickname that, hey. uh, that Ra- you have flown with interesting um
1: well uh most of our pilots came from the airlift community we had in Paul signs weren't really big in the 60s and 70s among your airlift guy but we had uh one of our guys uh, was, I I can't remember Jack's last name, but he ended up being one of our uh, squadron commanders, but Jack's Jack's call sign was gunfighter, and he was a short, stubby, kind of chunky guy that you would never, and this guy could just, he was an artist with a 20 millimeter, this guy could use uh, rudder and yoke, and I've actually seen him do a Zoro Z. <laughs> it's funny, <laughs> just like Zoro did with his uh, rapier. I've seen him do a Zoro Z on the ground with uh, Tracer, and it was uh, it was Jack. I wish I could remember what his name was. He was actually a standards and evaluation pilot with FAA as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Jack's call sign was Gunfighter, and he damn sure was one.
0: Roger. Um... Uh, Where are we? This is an interesting one. We may have to modify this slightly. Are the weapon systems in the Spectra more effective against vehicles or soft targets? Now, vehicles can be soft targets, so I'm assuming that would mean armoured vehicles or soft targets. Is that how you read that?
1: I think it's equally as uh, with the 105, uh, unless something's dug in underground, uh, it will take out structures. Of course, if they're hardened structures with 20-foot thick, you know, like these submarine pins at St. Nazaire back in World War II, but uh, it's equally as devastating with vehicles and uh, and, uh, and structures, especially now with these uh, GPS-guided AGMs that they're hanging on and shooting.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay, Uh, right, what's next? Uh, What would be the standard armament on most such AC-130s and which are belt fed and which require manual feeding does the impact does that impact the accuracy of the weapon well there, everything's auto no hang on so the the uh chain gun is going to uh, sorry the rotary cannon is going to be belt fed isn't it correct suck that in the bow force is it it was did you say the bow force was loaded every four four
1: rounds it's clip fed and you can put eight rounds in the uh what we would know as a where the magazine well on a gun uh regular firearm or a rifle but you can put two clips in there and then they just keep feeding them in as space comes available
0: right that makes sense so it'll
1: hold it'll hold if you put if you didn't reload it it could fire eight rounds
0: well john now the Bushmaster. i don't know if you know because this was wasn't your gun but to me it looked like you were feeding in kind of six to eight round clippy things a bit like a Bren gun or something that there's that They're very
1: very similar uh and it can keep going until you run out of ammunition and of course the 105 is uh it's manually fed uh it just like a 105 round would be in a howitzer or the, it's the same gun they used in howitzer and then the in tanks back in the day
0: Roger. and it says does this impact the accuracy of weapons i don't see why that's relevant in any way to no. you-
1: not at all. No. Thanks. Not at all. But the accuracy is the where the barrels pointed at the time that the uh, triggers pulled.
0: Roger. Okay. In a popular mechanics article video, a crew of a modern AC-130 is interviewed and one of the weapons officers calls the twenty-five mil Gao Equalizer an area weap an area weapon for infantry, while he compliments the forty mil Bofors as their sniper rifle. While you called the Equalizer a sniper rifle, what is your thought on this and how would you rate the accuracy of both weapon systems compared to each other? So we're comparing the Bofors 40 and the 25 mil rotary cannon.
1: Uh, The rotary cannon, of course, it operated much like the 20, was a little more accurate and and it's designed to be an area weapon. Uh, We had, uh, just a real quick sidebar, we had Pilots that were quick enough on the trigger where they could fire one round out of a twenty. It mm-hmm. took very, very, very good coordination, but that didn't happen very often. That would be when they were getting in, you know, contests for who's going to buy the beer when we got back with the gunners. Anyway, uh, so the 25s coming out in a Gatling, so you got multiple rounds coming out. Whereas with the 40s, back in the day, the 40s, you know, that's 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 a sniper rifle single round. Uh, you know, you could shoot just one round on it because of the way, very easily. Uh, and it's just you have multiple rounds coming out versus single round coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, there again, as I'd referenced before, I've seen pilots put out uh, saltwater flares the size of a 100 millimeter by 100 millimeter board at 6,000 feet. I've seen them put them out uh, subsequent times. Watch
0: out. Okay. I
1: have a question, Cap. Uh,
0: send. Did you guys fly with the escorts? Did you have
1: CAP? Uh, typically, no. Uh, in Vietnam, they did. Uh, they would. In Vietnam, they would coordinate with the F-4s, but typically, uh, that's if they had, you know, to do, the F-4 would back in the day would do seed type stuff, so they'd go in there. If they had a uh, missile threat, they'd go in there and do some seeds, some wild weasel work, but typically the gunships were operating uh, alone by themselves. Mm-hmm. So you would you wouldn't fly if there was air threats. Well, there was always air threats, but uh, yeah. when the air threats come up, you go you know you go somewhere else. Okay, got it.
0: And this links straight into the next question about information and situational awareness. Were the uh, A's ever linked to AWACS?
1: No. Uh, well, we could talk to AWACS, mm-hmm. um, but we weren't. Uh, we didn't have the capability to be data linked. Now, in the subsequent versions with the U models, they could talk, uh, you know, uh, talk in in co- I guess covertly uh, through data link and things of that nature uh, with AWACS. But you you would get tasking, uh, uh, you know, go here, go there. But generally, the mission sets with the 130s are you're going here, you're working with, uh, you know, you're talking to these JTACS that are going to be near these coordinates and they're going to have these targets for you. Uh, And and if you got deviated uh, by AWACS uh, or, you know, with SATCOMs and everything, you could talk to almost anybody. It's because there was an emergency situation. Troops were in contact and things had gone to the old crapper and they needed needed you and they needed you right now. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Right. Uh, I can recall when they tested the flares on a hilo I rode on how hot it was despite there being a hull in between me and the flare. Was that the same when you were firing flares? Could you feel the heat in any
1: way? Absolutely. I mean, it would come out in almost, it would feel like the sun on your face for about two seconds as it's falling away. That's how bright and hot that it was coming out. Never thought about that. Never even thought about, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Things, you, never, you never you never, wanted to catch around in those flare dispensers because oh that, could, can be imagine. that uh, could be a really bad day. This
0: is one of the many things you don't think about as a virtual pilot. You know, heat isn't a thing. Vibration isn't a thing. S- you know, things like that you we will never get to experience. Uh, Not only could you, uh, you could feel them, you could smell them too. Wow, how about that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Amazing. In in the bright, you would also to be able to maintain your night vision, when you fired the flares, you had to remember to shut your eyes because if not, you'd just totally lose your night vision.
0: Roger. Um, I guess once you'd fired, it was just cordite inside the smell. Is that right? Or whatever, you know. It would
1: be cordite-ish, you know, that real pungent Mm -hmm. smell of cordite. of course there's, you know, other chemicals and stuff in there, but you you could definitely smell them.
0: Roger. Interesting, okay. 25, also how much, of the kickback, could you feel from the guns being fired from inside the AC-130? It seems like the kickback from a 105 would probably rattle the plane quite a bit, but it seems like the airframe handles it
1: well. We've sort of talked about this, but anything else you want to translate? The 40, uh, the 20s, the 20s, the 40s, and we actually had 762s for a while so they just come out because mm-hmm. you got to fly too low with mm-hmm. um Other than the sheer noise and the violence of the 40s, and then the sheer actually great sounds of freedom from the 20 imagine being right next to the 20 when you get the burp yeah it's it's pretty awesome um uh but the only thing where you feel like you got a sense where it's kicking the tail around was the 105 and that not a whole bunch i mean if you're standing there with it and you've done it long enough you could feel it Mm -hmm. but it wasn't Mm -hmm. to the point like like the nose goes askew to the left five or six degrees Mm -hmm. at all uh, so it, it wasn't to the point where, oh, crap, we got to get back on. You know, like you'd fired a pistol in the recoil, and now you have to you know, regain mm. your target fixation and fire again. Mm. Mm. And remember, you're trying to push. It's a 105 round trying to push 180,000 pounds sideways.
0: Mm. Gonna, yeah, you need a lot of them firing at once to, to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, as an I.O. – I don't know what an I.O. is. Were you, Oh, a illumination, limited operator. Were you... A
1: prior crew
0: chief or
1: a loadmaster. came out of the crew chief I came out of the crew chief field matter of fact the tech school that I had to go to uh, I had you had to be a uh, you know a, a qualified crew chief to get in the program
0: why is that I don't understand what that's all about well
1: uh, you also were uh, if you had things you got somewhere you'd also need to be able to uh, make your repairs and whatnot refuel the aircraft and God forbid, change a tire and supervise the maintenance of it. So who better to do that than your maintenance personnel? Okay, so you were a crew chief
0: prior to, prior to this
1: then? Correct, right. correct. Um, now, when they moved on into the U model, that uh, the I.O. position went away and it more became more of a loadmaster's mm. position. It was taught Aircraft Defensive System. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense.
0: Okay, I've got three more that I've added in that you can't see. Sure. Um, this one we ask everyone. Uh, this is fantasy. This is, you know, top trumps. We call it in England. I don't know what you call it. But realism aside, uh, if you ever got to fly a plane, as in be the pilot, um, what would you love to have flown?
1: Uh, hands down, C-130. Ah, hands
0: down. yeah, that's another one that's gone for his plane. You're going to have to justify that because C-130 doesn't rate up to a, you know, F-15 in my, in
1: my humble opinion. So talk us through it. Okay, C-130, uh, but, I mean, if you said right now, you want to go fly something right now, I want to fly a, uh, a Bell uh, UH-1 U-model uh, that the Marine Corps flies. I believe they call it the Viper that's got the twin engines and a lot of power. If I could fly something, you know, and, and project myself right now, it would probably be that aircraft. What was it? Bell? The, the Bell UH-1 November or Zulu? I think they're up to now. God knows. I think it's either called the Viper or the Venom. Oh, it's Marine uh, Corps assets. They're the right. only one flying.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is a modified Huey, isn't it? A modern Huey. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Wow. Interesting answers. No, no flamey afterburners here. Okay. Very good. You know what you like. Yeah. You're
1: I never. I never was in the Yank and Bank uh, mm-hmm. uh, community. I grew up in Pensacola, which is where Naval Aviation. Uh, was born and then your uh, primary helicopter training is at Whiting Field. And I remember a bumper sticker that I saw many years ago, back in the late 70s. And that bumper said, "Bumper sticker said, No helos, no Watch <laughs> gotcha. out. Okay. So, uh, and, and my dad was also in his last half of his career as an aircraft mechanic. He was uh, helicopter transmissions, rotor heads, combining gearboxes, and things of that nature. So uh, helicopters were very near and dear to my
0: okay. a uh, question that I just put down when we were talking I mean for me the, I don't know if pinnacle is the right word but the, the original if you like most exciting bit of the, the spectre was it's uh, you know raining lead in Vietnam uh, where, where, you know during the inception uh, do you know were spectres lost in Vietnam like yes. B-52s B- B- were shot down were spectres shot
1: down they three of them um, mm-hmm. they were uh I say, and I actually know, I actually met and talked with and flew with one of the guys that actually got out. Um, they were uh, thirty. Well, one of them was uh, confirmed Sa two, and uh, one guy got out. He actually, with by luck, got blown out of it. And, uh, and then the other was uh, ground fire. I think they lost a total of three. Now they had aircraft get hit
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then fly home and get mm-hmm. home safely, but mm-hmm. they lost three. Uh, one was in Laos, uh, and one was, uh, and I think the other, well, I think they were all up in the Laos area because it was all Ho Chi Minh Trail-type places mm-hmm. where they were. So, yeah, I believe it was a total of three, SA-2s, and then probably 37-millimeter. Wow. Okay. I mean, three is not too bad. No, know. no. They, uh, three out of all the missions, and they were flying mm-hmm. around the clock from 68 up mm-hmm. until 73. Mm-hmm um yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. i had the pleasure of having the aircraft commander uh walter p holloway he was in the left seat on the maya gez incident where the cambodian gunboat tried to take an american ship and uh, the marines tried to go liberate it and stuff went sideways Mm -hmm. and he was actually the one that turned that cambodian gunboat into splinters how was that with the 105
0: okay sounds interesting okay i want to our final official question why hasn't there been a carrier variant of the c-130 the hercules carrier ops test seems successful enough so when they were landing i guess c-130s on uh, carriers enough you'd think a more portable version of that plane would be a nice addition as it would allow the c-130 to be deeper and longer into enemy territory this is a fair comment why can't it operate from a carrier because then you could take it from the other side of the world much easier uh
1: and I can answer that uh, that was a Navy 130 that you see the uh, that was uh, I think a B model mm-hmm. and that was done back in the early 60s yes uh, I know. Um, you get it on board now it's got to sit outside okay the, the ship that you would have to build to accommodate a 130 and then I don't it, I'm not knowing the gross takeoff weights but I mm-hmm. don't you could land potentially land one on a carrier with a lot of wind, but I don't think at gross takeoff weight with all of you know guns and ammo and everything, yeah. or I don't think you could take That's... one off. Plus, with the wingspan of a one thirty, mm-hmm. you can imagine the width of the flight? All,
0: all sorts of problems you've got there. Oh yeah, there? logistically, it
1: would be cool. Oh god, yeah, it would. Would not be cool? Mm-hmm. But remember, uh, everything from the H's up, it's all been area fuel capable, so mm-hmm. you know they can get wherever they need to go. And plus. The new versions, they, they can pull the guns in and go pressurized. So, you know, you can go up to 25, 30,000 feet and, you know, go at 350 knots mm-hmm. indicated and then go fly and get somewhere. Watch
0: out. And,
1: what? That, and that's, not a, that's also not a weapon system that sits right next to the forward edge of the battle area. You don't want that so close mm-hmm. where the enemy can come over, run, and take that. Yep. That's going to be setting back, you know, couple hours of flying time so uh as you say the baddies can't run in there and grab one
0: exactly yeah we we, when we we don't have one but when we use our a10s you can't use them anywhere near the front line because they are glass i know they're known for being tough but they are tactically glass aircraft they can't run they can't hide you you can't use one anywhere near a front line and every time the people that try will get shot down this is just natural selection of aircraft and you're just a bigger, even easier target to an Amram up in a C-130. So like you said, you've got to be hours flying time away from that front line with air supremacy if you're going to think of using it.
1: Exactly. And that's the key is air supremacy. Mm. Interesting. Uh,
0: One more question come in. How long from now do you think the Hercules, it doesn't say AC-130, but it says Hercules will serve?
1: I think, uh, well, we got 3000 airframes out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's for all that's flying on the, is the, well, the air force has started to retire. Uh, all the active duty H models are in the boneyard. Okay. So what's flying now is the subsequent, uh, that follow on that. You got probably a thousand J models out there Mm -hmm. being flown by private entities and nations from all over the world. Mm -hmm. I can't see, in the distant anywhere in the distant future let's just say this lockheed's not tearing down the one the c-130 plant in uh in uh up in uh, marietta georgia anytime soon
0: mm-hmm. just one of the, one of those planes that just worked really well it Never just away. And,
1: and it's outlasted the first 130s uh flew in 50 we we actually had the first 130 mm-hmm. that the oh, purchased, which is five three tail number five three uh, one two nine, 9 uh, and when when we had it, it had over 30,000 hours short of flight yeah. time on it. But, yeah, so uh, we're flying, 130s have been flying since 54 till now, and uh, not even the Soviets, or, you know, with the mm-hmm. AN-12. I don't even think they make, they haven't made AN-12s in years, but mm-hmm. the 130s have lived almost in perpetuity near now. Mm-hmm
0: okay john that was thoroughly adro- i don't know if you enjoy that i found that I thoroughly enjoyable it. i've learned so much i came into this knowing that there was a herc with guns and it was called a Spectre, and that was it now i know not everything but a lot about this and it's clear i like it really like it when i interview someone that a really knows their subject like you i i, I don't think i can catch you out anywhere with anything because you just know your subject and it's not because you've you know sat and revised, it's because you just love your subject, and that's the other thing that you clearly uh, are very fond, very keen of this. Not not just not just a piece of metal, but you know the whole thing that it represents, and the and the, and the, and the people and the teams and stuff like that, and um, and proud, uh, and that's really really good, really good. Makes a perfect interview, should we say? And you're a good interviewer anyway. I can I don't have to keep thumping you. you can talk, uh, you, can, you can talk well. Right, so I really enjoyed that thank you very much I look forward to doing some leather crafting so it's gone from firing Absolutely. it's gone from firing guns and flares to leather crafting and that's fine I really Absolutely. enjoyed it the guys really enjoyed it I hope you enjoy seeing the video John I will catch up with you in the future but for now all the best
1: all the best sir thank cheers, you cheers. Uh, RC did you have to go Perhaps? to the restroom did you have to go to the restroom No. wow even with your he did, did a five mile talking. walk, apparently.
0: All right, well, we'll see about that.
1: Permit me one indulgence. RC, how wonderful for you. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that's a great it way to win. Awesome.
0: It was wonderful.